Bible open to Psalm 13, if you would. Uh, we'll look together at that. First of all, though, just let me say Happy New Year. Um, I haven't been here the last couple weeks. I've been at home taking care of sick kids. We had the virus called RSV in our household, which was not fun. And um, so I, I've missed a lot of your faces for the last couple weeks, and I'm so happy to be here with you and so happy to get to open God's word along with you today. Um, also, if I could just tack on to that, um, a kind of special greeting of solidarity to those of you who are worshiping online. I was there with you last week, and so whether you're at home uh, because of COVID in your family or because of other viruses in your family, uh, because of an abundance of caution, because of cancer, or for whatever reasons, if you're worshiping with us at home, just want to spend a, send a special greeting to you and say we're glad that you're worshiping with us today as well. Um, today, we're making a little tiny shift in plans. I know we've been telling you forever that we're going to be doing this sermon series in the book of Matthew, and I really think we will one day do a sermon series in the book of Matthew, but at the moment, that's next week instead of this week, okay? So it is still coming, um, but uh, as we were evaluating um, some things together uh, this uh, this Sunday, it just seemed that Maybe it was good for us to slow down and talk for for one week about this topic of learning the lost art of lament from Psalm 13. A few years ago, um, a theologian, a theology professor named Todd Billings, who was still in his 30s at the time, was diagnosed with a rare and incurable form of blood cancer. He's still alive, and by God's grace, he's written several meaningful books in the meantime, but Todd and his wife, Rachel, have had to deal with the heartbreaking and the perplexing reality that Todd, with his heartbreaking, this perplexing prognosis that Todd will die decades before other people his age, and their two kids will live the majority of their lives without dad around. And out of that heartbreak and the perplexity and the questions and the grief And the complex emotions that go with that kind of thing, Todd Billings wrote a book about learning to lament as a Christian called Rejoicing in Lament. And in that book, he shares these simple but profound observations. He says, while psalms of thanksgiving are wonderful, they are rarer in the book of psalms than psalms of lament. So cherry-picking only the praises from the Psalms tends to shape a church culture in which only positive emotions can be expressed before God in faith. Since my diagnosis with cancer, Todd writes, I've found that my fellow Christians know how to rejoice about answered prayer and also how to petition God for help But many do not know what to do when I express sorrow and loss and talk about death. 
As a result, when we inevitably face the reality of death along with fear, anger, and grief faced during other hardships, we are not encouraged to bring those to church. Such emotions have come to be frowned on as unreligious. When worship only expresses victory, it can unintentionally suggest that the broken and the lonely and the hurting have no place here. The message can sound like this. If you want to fit in, first get your emotions in order so that you can be positive and then go to worship. But the Psalms help show us that bottling up or trying to fix those emotions ourselves is not the right way. Fear Anger, confusion, protest, these are all emotions that we can and should bring before our covenant Lord with the psalmists. I read that and I think Todd Billings is on to something. I think he's got something right. We need to learn to lament as Christians. We need to learn the lost art of lamenting along with the psalmist. We need to learn the lost art of lament for our own spiritual health individually. And we need to learn the lost art of lament for the sake of others around us, right? So that we can become a community of grace, a community that reflects God's heart for the hurting. We need to learn the lost art of lament because because of things that some of us are going through right now. And we need to learn the lost art of lament because of some things that we will go through in the future. We need to learn the lost art of lament because of the brokenness of this world. And we need to learn the lost art of lament For the glory of our Redeemer who loves us and invites us to walk closely with Him even through darkness and pain and suffering and grief. Pastor Mark Vrogop and his wife Sarah lost a child only a few days before their due date. That's a particular kind of grief, right? They went through the chilling grief of stillbirth. And out of that life-shaking pain, Mark Vrogop has written a couple of helpful books on the topic of lament. One of them is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. The other is called Weep With Me. And in one of those books, Mark Vrogop describes how even as a pastor, he didn't really understand lament. He didn't really see it as a spiritual discipline that was important for Christians until it became a lifeline for him. And he writes about how learning this spiritual practice has reshaped a great deal of his life. He offers a very simple definition of Christian lament. 
Mark Vrogop's definition of Christian lament goes something like this. Lament is a prayer in pain leading to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain leading toward or in the direction of trust. And I think that definition, that framing of this idea of lament is helpful because it addresses two concerns at the very same time. One of the concerns that we may have, on the one hand, some of us hear about this idea of lament and some of us will immediately worry that if we encourage people to express their emotions and to express even their complaints with brutal honesty, that it will lead down a path only toward bitterness and anger. Maybe we've seen that happen before, right? People start expressing emotions and it snowballs in an unhealthy direction. I've seen that. And so maybe we worry, should people really express their emotions at all? Should people really complain openly and bluntly before God? On the other hand, some of us hear about lament as a journey in pain toward trust And we'll immediately, on the other hand, kind of worry that if there is a goal of trust out there, then what's going to happen is we're not going to validate the pain and the grief and the suffering that we're going through in the present tense. I've seen that happen before, especially in Christian circles. Somebody shares about their pain, somebody shares about their grief, their suffering, their raw emotions, and the first response is kind of like, are you trusting God? And it comes across as if, if you were trusting God, if that were your goal, then you wouldn't have those emotions that you just expressed. And Mark Vrogop kind of speaks to both of these concerns at once. More deeply than that, to the degree that his definition reflects what we find in God's Word. God's Word addresses both of these concerns at once, and it it shows us through the example of many psalms of lament. The most common genre of psalms in the whole book of psalms, more psalms of lament than anything else. And over and over again, as we read these psalms of lament, as we pray these psalms of lament along with the psalmist, as we pray these psalms of lament along with our Christian brothers and sisters, we realize that pain and expressions of pain, expressions of suffering, prayers to God in a minor key, are legitimate. In fact, they're part of faith as it's described for us. And guided for us in the words of Scripture. And we see that as we express that pain, that grief, that suffering in a Godward direction, we can legitimately express that and validate it and, and meaningfully engage it with a greater goal. A goal not of remaining stuck in our grief and shame without moving anywhere forever. But we can legitimate the reality and the significance of our grief, our pain, our suffering, while also having an eye to a goal of trust, of deepening our faith, not by avoiding our emotions, but by walking with God through our suffering, our pain, 
and our deepest kinds of emotions. You see, here's where lament is wonderfully helpful for us. It teaches us how to walk with God through pain and suffering. It teaches us how to pray in pain with a goal of deeper faith and deeper trust. Mark Brogop helpfully identifies four elements that work together in the Psalms of Lament, typically. These four elements, as he describes them, are number one, turning to God. Number two, bringing a complaint. Number three, asking boldly. And number four, choosing to trust. And let's think about how each of those elements of biblical lament, each of these elements of Christian lament show up here in this little lament, this little Psalm number 13. Let's think about how those show up, and then let's think especially about how we can put into practice a spiritual discipline of walking with God through pain and suffering by praying lamenting kinds of prayers ourselves. I'll give you a heads up that as we wrap up this message will include some open time, some quiet time, a, a moment, a few moments of silent, a few moments of silence here for you to pray your own prayers of lament. And so let's not listen to this merely as just kind of information or a lecture about ancient prayer. Let's listen to how Psalm 13 coaches and teaches us in how God wants us to walk with him, how God wants us to talk with him, how God wants us to pray in the midst of our own grief and suffering as we prepare to do so ourselves, even today. Let's think about these as four practices. First of all, the practice of turning to God. Turning to God. In Psalm 13, as in almost all psalms of lament, there is a simple yet profound pair of words right there at the front of the psalm in verse number one. You'll find it in almost, you'll find this pair of words in almost every psalm of lament. And that profound and important pair of words is this, O Lord. It's so simple that we might overlook it and yet it's So important. How long, O Lord? You see, when I deal with grief or with loss or with failure or with disappointment or with loneliness, I have a tendency to stew on those things in my own head. If I've got a financial challenge of some sort, I'll go and I'll look at the numbers. And then even once the computer screen is shut, I'll just keep reviewing the numbers over and over and over again in my head. If there's a conflict with another person, I will try to figure that all out in the space of my own brain, in the the space of, in that little space in between my own ears. It will just keep spinning around and around and around as I talk to myself about these things. And yet Psalm 13 and the Psalms of Lamentation show us a way out of that space in between our own two ears. It's by saying, oh Lord. It's not by ignoring our emotions. It's not by ignoring the reality of relational conflict or ignoring the reality of financial pinches. It's not by ignoring those things, but it's by taking them in a new direction, by taking them directly to God in prayer. Oh Lord. Lord is the direction of the Psalms of Lament. 
David Taylor, a theologian, puts it very simply for us. He says, what we find in these psalms of lament, it is important to stress, is never mere sadness. We find instead sadness before the face of God. Sometimes when we deal with sadness in our lives, we want answers. We want intellectual answers. We want to figure it out. And the Bible does give us some answers, but it doesn't give us the kinds of answers that eliminate all our questions. The Bible gives us answers that will leave us with more intellectual questions. But here's part of the reason why, I think. It's because when we suffer, God's main intention is not that we would get rid of our questions. It's that in and through our suffering, God's main intention is that we would grow closer to him. God is after not so much intellectual answers in our pain and suffering. He's after relational answers. He's not interested so much in our philosophical ideas. He's interested in a real relationship with him. And so when God's Spirit put into our Bible these prayers of pain, these prayers in a minor key, they begin with these simple words, O Lord. They teach us to bring our pain and our grief and our suffering into relationship with our Maker. He invites us to walk with Him. And so, before we move on to a second practice here, as we think about this practice of turning to God, here's a question I want to encourage you to consider. What griefs do you need to bring before the Lord? What griefs do you stew about or try to distract yourself from instead of talking to your Redeemer about them? And the list could be long, right? There are real griefs in this life like losing loved ones. 2022 began with a death in my extended family. I'll be traveling to a family funeral later this week myself. I know some of you have lost parents. Some of you have lost children, brothers or sisters, close friends. It's not, it's not something we just move on from, is it? There's that deep pain of being attacked by a close, by a close friend. The groan, of, the groan of watching people that you love make decisions that you so desperately wish you could change. And yet we're not able to make decisions for other people. The feeling of being alone. The feeling of being depressed beyond words. Feeling outraged over unaddressed injustices. Feeling forgotten. Feeling guilty. Feeling hopeless. Feeling lost. Feeling like a failure in work. Feeling like you don't belong in church. Feeling like your best days are behind you. I wonder what griefs do you need to bring out of that space in between your own two ears? 
What griefs do you need to bring before the Lord so that you can walk with Him as you deal with it and process it and consider it? Here's a second practice we need to think about. It's the practice of bringing a complaint. And I'm going to slow down and maybe spend a little more time here than on the other ones because this might demand a little more careful explanation, right? When Mark Vrogop says that the Psalms teach us to bring our complaints before God, um, this calls for a little bit of explanation. When I preach the Psalms, I usually talk about this in terms of praying with brutal honesty. Mark Vrogop uses a more provocative term, and he talks about it in terms of complaining to God. And it's understandable why some of us would say, is that really right? Because, like, didn't God judge the people of Israel for grumbling against him out in the wilderness? Like, isn't it a problem sometimes to grumble and complain? Well, let's look at how Psalm 13 puts it. Verse 1 Listen to how this psalm teaches us to pray. This isn't just an exercise in how David prayed 3,000 years ago. This is how God's word leads us in prayer today. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? What's hidden in that question? It's the assumption that God has hidden. Can you say that to God? Can you say that to the God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Why did you hide from me? Verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Some of you know exactly what it feels like to have sorrow in your heart all the day. Day, I wonder if you know that you're allowed to talk to God about that so openly. How would we describe these questions that open Psalm 13? At a minimum, we should recognize that they lead us in a practice of praying with brutal honesty. And maybe we'd end up agreeing with Mark Rogop that an accurate description is to say that These psalms of lament teach us to complain to God, to bring our complaints to Him. It's not just Psalm 13. Think about Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Here's another complaint brought to God. Psalm 43, verse 2. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Or Psalm 88, 14. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. Psalm 88 leads us in praying. And I am helpless. This might make some of us uncomfortable, right? Like, should we really talk to God like that? How is that not grumbling against the Lord? 
And here's the issue. I think it's an issue of pride versus humility. God wants us to check our pride at the door, yes, but not our questions. You see? God wants us to check our pride at the door, yes, but not our emotions. You see? God wants us to check our pride at the door, not even our honest complaints. Why do you hide your face from me? It sure seems like you do. You see the difference? Mark Rogop puts it really simply. He says, come with your pain, but not your pride. (laughs) It's a very simple way of putting this. The Psalms of Lament lead us to talk with God with raw emotional language. It sure feels like you're hiding from me right now, Lord. It sure feels like I have suffered since I was a kid, and it sure feels like it's not going to stop anytime soon. Check your pride at the door, but not your questions, not your emotions. Not even your complaints. The Psalms of Lament teach us to come to God with our deepest questions and our deepest emotions. One of our problems here is probably a mistaken picture of Jesus. And when I say picture, I mean picture very literally in this case, because I have in mind a painting of Jesus or a print of a painting of Jesus that was in the church that I attended when I was a young kid. And I can remember it's a painting of Jesus praying. Maybe you've seen a painting like this. And in this painting, this was my picture of what Jesus is like when he's praying that I grew up with. Jesus, what's he doing with his hands? Folded just like this. He's sitting on the ground in this completely relaxed position, as if it's just like, whoo, everything's nice. And his head, his chin is tipped up with the slightest grin on his face. His eyebrows are kind of chiseled upward with this kind of optimistic hope. His eyes are looking up into the heavens and down from the heavens, there is this warm glow of light bathing over him, right? And if we grow up with pictures of Jesus praying like this, that's what we think. If you're a follower of that Jesus, then you think anytime I've got emotions other than serenity, I can't pray. But here's the problem. That's not the New Testament's painting of Jesus in prayer, as it were. You know how the New Testament describes Jesus in prayer? Not hands folded, eyebrows chiseled up in optimism, and everything serene, bathed in a warm glow of peaceful light. No, according to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says, quote, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, listen to this, with loud cries and tears. That's the Bible, not a painter's interpretation. Jesus prayed with loud gut kinds of blah cries. I don't know what a cry sounds like for you, but you know, whatever your cry sounds like, with tears. He cried out with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. 
And then there's the picture of Jesus dying on the cross. And what does he do? He calls out the words of perhaps the most famous of all the psalms of lament. Psalm 22, verse 1. Not hands folded and eyebrows chiseled up in warm light. Arms outstretched, nails in the hand, blood dripping down. Drops of sweat as if blood caked onto his body already. And in agony and pain, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A prayer that you and I are invited to join our Savior in praying in Psalm 22. And so if that's our picture of Jesus, loud cries, tears, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If the Bible's picture of the real Jesus guides our understanding of what it looked like for Jesus to pray, and I'm not saying that's every single time he prayed. I guess I could get us off track in another way so that we think we're not allowed to pray with serenity. Like you can pray peacefully too. There are psalms of refuge where you can find peace, all right? So that's okay also. But what I'm saying is if we get a real picture of the real Jesus who at least sometimes was crying out with tears and saying and asking raw questions, hard questions, deep questions, like, my God, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's going to shape the way we think about emotions in our own walk with God, isn't it? It's going to give us some freedom to draw near to him when all we have are desperate cries and and deep questions. It's going to affect the way we love and care for our brothers and sisters when they're in those moments when it seems like all they have are desperate cries and deep questions. We're not going to say, well, gee, have you trusted God? I mean, we'll talk about trust. We'll get there. But when we realize that our Lord Jesus himself cried out and asked the deepest of questions in prayer, We'll have a lot more patience in the journey with our brothers and sisters as well, right? Here's the question perhaps for us to consider here. Because of the fact that Psalm 13 and other Psalms like it teach us to say things like, How long, O Lord? Right? You're tracking with how I'm getting here? These are the complaints that we're talking about. We're not talking about proudly and arrogantly accusing God as if we know better than Him. We're talking about bringing these honest questions such that God hears us say, why have you forsaken me? And He doesn't frown at us and say, yikes, it sounds like she's having a really bad day. God hears us say, God, why have you forsaken me? And He smiles over disciples. And he says, she's using the prayer book. She's using the words I gave her. She's following the path that I laid out. So when we get that, when we learn to pray, how long, O Lord, in the real griefs that we struggle through in our lives, Here's the question that we consider. What are the honest questions and struggles that you need to bring to the Lord? 
I asked you a minute ago to consider what are just the what are just the topics, what are the areas of life that you need to get into gear in your relationship with God. But let me ask you this: what are the honest questions? What are the raw emotions such that if the real you is talking to the real Lord, these are the things you're actually thinking about? What are the honest questions? that you need to bring before your Lord. And sometimes when we find ourselves in those places of kind of deep depression and voiceless darkness, what we need is precisely what he's given. Words prepared for us. A faithful and reliable path that believers have been following for generations and generations so that we can open up our Bibles to Psalm 13 and begin praying in our own grief. How long, O Lord, will you really forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? A third practice beyond turning to God and complaining before him. I'll take this one very quickly because it's probably the simplest. A third practice is the practice of asking boldly. Notice here in Psalm 13 where this goes. The Psalms of Lament teach us to ask these raw questions, but they don't end on the raw questions. They move us forward in a path. They move us forward in a journey. And that journey usually goes from asking the raw questions to making bold requests of God to do something. Here in this passage, verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Here are bold requests. Sometimes in other psalms of lament, we need to move from asking our questions to asking God to forgive us for our sins. How honest and real does that feel sometimes? God, I've got my complaints. And God, will you have mercy on me for my own sins? (laughs) God, I've got my complaints about my enemies. Will you not hold my wrongs against me? Sometimes those bold requests take the shape of saying, God, I know what you've promised. And I do believe you're going to do it. But I'm asking you to start doing it now. Sometimes those bold requests, like in Psalm 13, have to do with... With arguing with God. Remember Josh Anderson, those who were at the, uh, the men's Saturday that we did uh, a couple months ago. Josh was talking about the art of arguing with God in prayer. Of coming to him and saying, God, this is what you promised. And this is what I experience right now. And it sure seems to me like your name would be glorified if you'd make good on that promise quickly here, right? There is an art to coming before God and saying... Don't let my enemies feel like they're beating us. That doesn't glorify you, does it? And we do that with a kind of humility. We do that with a kind of faith that recognizes that in the long journey, we won't always get our answers in our time frame. But the Psalms of Lament teach us to turn to God, to... they. they Teach us to talk with God very honestly and openly about our complaints, our questions, our emotions. They teach us to ask boldly of God to do something about it. And I'm going to move on for the sake of time here to the fourth practice that we learn in the lost art of Christian lament. It's the practice of choosing to trust. 
Look at where Psalm 13 goes. It begins, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Verse 3, Consider, answer me, O Lord. It's a request for God to do something. And then verse 5, But there are these sweet pivot points that you'll often find in Psalms of Lament. As you read through the Psalms, as you pray Psalms out loud, I've told you before, I don't know any spiritual discipline that has been more helpful in my own life than just taking Psalms and making them my own by praying them out loud. I don't know a spiritual discipline that's been more helpful for me, at least. And so I warmly commend it to you, all 150 of them, even the laments. And as you pray the prayers of lament yourself, as you read these words and make them your own and start talking to God about the things that you're reading, here, you'll begin to notice these pivot points. We're invited to come to God with our raw, honest questions. We're invited to make bold requests. God, would you please answer me in what I'm asking for for myself? Would you answer me in what I'm asking for for my kids? Would you answer me in what I'm asking for for my church? Would you answer me in what I'm asking for for my nation? Would you answer me in what I'm asking for for the world that I live in? Will you answer me in these things that I care about and that I want to see? Will you answer me? And then we get these pivot points. But, verse 5. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Chesed is the Hebrew word for it. I've got a lot of grief in my life, a lot of emotions, a lot of things I've cried about, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. And my heart will, future, It's not even maybe fully there yet. I love the mercy of God in giving us verses like this. I might not feel the rejoicing right now, but God, thank you for giving me a path toward rejoicing. I have trusted in your steadfast love. I will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. With Where does bountifully dealing with me come from in a psalm that starts with how long, O Lord? It comes from the character of God and faith in all of his good promises. That's where it comes from. It comes from seeing our lives in the story of redemption. Instead of viewing our lives merely by the little tiny slice that we're in right now, instead of viewing our lives merely by the little tiny slice of what we've experienced in the last month or in the last year, or instead of viewing our lives even by the little tiny slice of what we've experienced since March of 2020 with all of the uncertainties and all of the griefs and all of the sorrows and all of the unexpecteds and all of the challenges and all of the disappointments and all of the, all of the things that we just wouldn't have picked for ourselves, instead of viewing it all in light of that little slice, we begin to view our lives in light of a wider story of redemption. And we say, God, I've trusted in your steadfast love. That's part of his character. It's part of who he is. And I will rejoice in your salvation. That's part of the story of redemption and where things are headed because of what he's promised. And therefore, today, I can conclude 
however many tears I've cried and however much I've been through, and however much the journey might not be over yet, Lord, you have dealt bountifully with me. I love that. (laughs) That's just perfect. Jesus praying, I think. (laughs) We're teaching the kids the Jesus way over there. (laughs) How do you get back from that? I have no idea. So a few years ago, um, Katie and I were sitting at our kitchen counter and we were talking with um, a a friend, um, a woman who's part of this church, and um, she was sharing with us some real griefs in her life. Some really hard things, like a lot of tears. And we listened, and we listened, and we listened, and we asked questions just to learn more about the story, and our hearts broke with her. We cried. We grieved. We listened. I don't know if that was 45 minutes or something like that at the kitchen counter there. Then we kind of started to... get toward the end of her story, get toward the present day and where things were right now. And without any pushing, without any prodding, without any manipulation of any sort, she smiled. Now, I want to be really clear at this point. It was not a fake smile. I'm tired of fake smiles. I don't know about you. There was a real smile on her face after all the tears, after all the story of grief. She said with a kind of confidence that ministered to me. I thought we were there to minister to her that day. She was ministering to me. And out of her tears, out of her grief, she smiled. She said, but we know that God works all things together for good. I've heard that verse be used way out of context in some cheap ways that it shouldn't be thrown around flippantly in. But I'll tell you what, that day, when out of her grief, when out of her pain, this saint chose to trust the Lord. Not in a way that denied anything she'd been through, not in a way that led her to pretend like things weren't hard but in a way that led her to say, I know what God is like. He's full of steadfast love. And I know where this story is headed. It's headed towards salvation in the future. And therefore, I can smile right now and say, I know that he is dealing bountifully with me. I remember that because I had some griefs and some sorrows that I was carrying related to some extended family things in my own life. Things that were weighing me down personally. Some things that I hadn't really bothered to talk with other people about because I had just kind of resigned in my own head. These are just griefs that I have to carry. And yet as she spoke those simple words of faith, something went deep for me. In a fresh way. And I began to realize I really can trust the God of Romans 8.28. 
with all of my griefs, with all of my regrets, with all of my sorrows. And I can take all of my griefs and all of my regrets and all of my sorrows and all of the things I would change if I could, but I can't. And I can take them all to the graveyard of Romans 8, 28, and I can pour them all in there. Take the dump truck, bury it all. I can bury all of my griefs and all of my regrets and all of my sorrows with faith in the God of resurrections. With faith in the God who specializes in bringing life out of death and beauty out of brokenness. And I can believe, like my sister in the faith, that we know that our God works all things together for good. This is where the Psalms of Lament lead us. It's a journey. It's a pathway. And I'm not saying that in five or ten minutes of prayer every single day we'll get all the way from the how long, O Lord, all the way to, but you've dealt bountifully with me. But as we make this, as we make these prayers our prayers, as we follow this path that the Lord Himself has laid out for us, we get ourselves in a journey. We get ourselves on that path. We get ourselves in that current. And we start moving along with the Spirit of God. And our lives begin to, our lives begin to move in the direction of redemption. Sometimes even our, our emotions begin to move in the direction of redemption. Our emotions, we begin to feel this exhale before the Lord. It's not all neat and tidy and all my problems aren't gone, but I can exhale. I can rest. Why? Because I know the God of steadfast love. And I know where this story is headed. And therefore, I can decide to declare with confidence even today, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. This is the journey that Psalms of Lament teach us to follow. And here's why we're talking about it today. Listen, we live in a minor key world. We've got minor key details all over our lives individually, right? We live in a minor key world, in a fallen world. And our God, who specializes in redemption, doesn't just wipe out the minor key stuff and say, plug your ears and ignore it. He says, I'll meet you right in the middle of it. The light of the world has come into the darkness. Into the darkness. All the way into it with us. The darkness has not overcome it. He meets us right where we are in our minor key world with minor key prayers that put us on a journey from our deepest questions and our deepest emotions toward faith, trust, confidence in Him as a part of the wider story that He's writing. And listen, I want to invite you I want to encourage you to join 
these kinds of prayers yourself. To plug your own voice in and to practice the lost art of lament in the minor key world that we live in as we keep our eyes on our great Redeemer. Why? Because we have a great priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And therefore, we want to hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. I want to give you just a little bit of space to draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need. Maybe in your time of need specifically. I think there are a couple points we can throw on the screen here, but I want to encourage you to take a moment here and instead of just hearing about this idea of praying in lament, I want to encourage you to take a minute. I want to invite you to take a minute and do so. Turn to God. What do you need to talk to God about right now? Bring a complaint. What are your raw emotions and your real questions? Name them before the Lord. Ask boldly. What will you ask God to do in alignment with His character and His promises? And choose to trust. Or at least take a few steps in that direction. What hope can you hold in God's character and in the story of redemption? It's going to be quiet for a minute. Maybe that's unhelpfully uncomfortable. Maybe it's just what we need in a busy and overly distracted world. I want to encourage you, draw near to the Lord. Talk openly and honestly with Him. In a moment, Matt Vent will come and lead us in a pastoral prayer of lament.
our merciful Lord. We turn to you. For where else can we go? We turn to you. We want to say thank you for making us your own. You have redeemed for yourself a people for your own possession. We are your people and we belong to you. Lord, knowing who we are and whose we are changes everything. We turn to a faithful God. And Lord, we offer you our complaint. We offer you our grief. We offer you our sorrow. There are many, O Lord, here in this church who have and are continuing in deep pain, who have experienced deep pain, loneliness, fear, regret over the past. Some have and are experiencing deep longing, longings of for a child, longings for a spouse, longing for a miracle to happen in their family, and up to now, all they have heard is silence. Lord, there are some who feel that you are far from them. Distant. There are some who feel the stinging pain of sin. There are some who are wrestling and struggling with their own internal turmoil. And they can't even figure out their own hearts. Oh, Lord, this is not the way we want it to be. Lord, we are desperate and we ask you, oh, Lord, to act on our behalf. We offer all of our grief, all of our sorrow, all of our longing to you. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to trust in you, to trust in you. God, pour out your mercy on us. And lead us back to you. Lord, when tears are great. And when comfort seems absent in our lives. May we trust in your mercy. And steadfast love. Lord, as Psalm 13 ends. We have trusted in your steadfast love. Our hearts will rejoice in your great salvation. And we will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with us.
So, Lord, where will we go? We go to you. We trust you. Help us to trust in you more. And help us to sing aloud of your great salvation, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of our longings and sorrow. God, it is true and will always be true that you are good, you are faithful, and we need you. We can only offer this prayer and all of the prayers that have been prayed because we have a Savior who died and rose again for us on our behalf, who is now interceding for his own. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.